It's not complicated, but it's not easy either. It's not complicated. Either life is a gift or life is a choice. You can't have it both ways. It's not complicated. It's an either or. Life is a gift or life is a choice. But what is not easy is the results of the answer you give to that question. You see, if you believe that life is a choice, then you are a participant in a one world religion that hates Christianity. Doesn't look like a religion, doesn't act like a religion. It's more like a big movement or a philosophy. And it's not particularly new. The roots go back to the 1800s, if not before that, into the Enlightenment. But it is a godless movement of human thinking that says life is a choice, not a gift from the Creator God. It's not complicated. You either believe that life is from Jesus, your God, or you have some other theory that lets you parrot again this idea that life is a choice and from there be led by the nose into all manner of atrocity and evil. The one which we're focusing on today being the brutal murder and distribution of baby parts into a black market through a system called abortion. I've never preached about this before. I'm a little bit upset. (laughs) If it comes out, I apologize. It hurts me to think about this. Better than 20% of my generation, I'm 44, better than 20% of everybody who's lived from me and down below, there's about six years more above me that counts, 20% plus dead before they were born. One-fifth to one-fourth of our nation, we murder every year. It's ridiculous. We're Nazis. If you can ever use that term, we are. We're worse. We've killed far more. The blood on our hands cries out to God, honestly. And then I... I guess I fear God for that reason, right? And I've been very glad that there was no blood being shed on the west side of Rockford for a long time. I thought, man, am I blessed to live here in Rockford. Why would you move to Rockford? No abortions. But now they put it back, right? Now the long arm of, well, what do you want to call it? Who do you want to blame? Where does the top stop? I mean, that's not what I'm here to say today. The long arm of the beast has reached back out to pluck down a little place of bloodshed right here amongst the poorest of the poor. And to be frank, the blackest of the black. Not an accident. Not a mistake by them. The evil know what they are doing. Do we know what we're doing? We who believe life is a gift. Are we here fighting the fight or are we here just passing the time? And I don't ever want to be one of those pastors that tells you go home and do more. If that's what you get from me, slap me in the face. It's not about do more. It is about do you know who you are? as opposed to those who are not 
what you are. And it goes back to, well, what's the answer they give to this question? Is life a gift? Is life a choice? So we can go deeper. Is Jesus the final gift or is he not? I mean, that matters too, a lot, a lot. But this idea, again, that life is a gift, this is something we can even share with neighbors that aren't Christians. This, this one world religion of life, a choice, is against other religions too. It's kind of, kind of weird how powerful and wicked this thing is. I'm not saying that we should align with those other religions, but what we can do is realize where our enemy really is. And especially if we're going to do something like go downtown and stand by a building and pray, right? You can't be all hung up because there's a Baptist there praying with you. It can't be the real, oh, man, I'm not doing this. You got to see where your enemy is. You got to see where your friends are. Right? And what happens if you go to the March for Life and you meet one of these atheists for life that are out there? You know, what do you do? Do you kind of take a step back? You know, oh, well, I'll walk over here. Not, not too close to you, though. The fire might come out of heaven and destroy you. Yeah. I want to talk about an opportunity for witness, though. Well, that would be it, wouldn't it? Walking for life for an hour and a half in the snow right next to some atheist you just met. So again, my, my point here, my point here is that life being a gift unites us against many of the things that we don't like about the current world. And if we were to talk about it in political terms, we might even fight with each other about it. But if we talk about it in terms of the gift of life that we share here, it all becomes very clear. Your family makes it real, usually. What I want to do then is drive home to you, St. Paul, this morning, how wonderful your place in this community as an individual is designed by God. Yeah, That's Psalm 139. That's going to be on page 521 of your pew Bible. We're not going to get through every single verse this morning, um, although we will do that in the later service. So those of you on YouTube who want it, you can come back and find that later. We're just going to go through what we read a few moments ago, which is a nice highlight of the whole psalm. It's an intense psalm, though, and we're skipping over some pretty juicy stuff. So you might also go find that later service sermon um, some other point if you want to see more. Or if you read on and you're like, what's that verse mean? Um, I'll try to answer those kinds of questions uh, at the later service. For now, the structure, the summary, the focal point, the theme, right? And verse 1 lays it out pretty pretty straight up. What are we going to meditate on here? Oh, Jesus, oh, Lord, oh, God, oh, Father, you have searched me and known me. Now you're, you are, you are, every single one of you individually, bare and naked beneath the eye of God at all times. And to know this is a great freedom. It's tremendous freedom of heart. To realize you're never, you're never alone. Ever. God's eye is always on you. And he is so on you that not only does he know what you just did, he knows what you're just about to do. And even there... He provides for you all of it that is good so that when you've done it, you have done it because he was there to make it good. There is nowhere you can go where God is not already there. 
This includes in your heart, in your mind, in your emotions, your psychological struggles, your relationships with other people that are difficult. God is present, searching and knowing all of it at all times. And for you, Christian, this is good news. It's going to build on this idea. This is just the first point. One of my professors at seminary liked to go around and and he, he thought this was funny. And I guess it kind of was. He would say, God is God. And then he would like wait for everyone to be like, yes, what do you mean, right? And his, his jest was intended to get you to, to ask the question, like, what is God? What's that mean to me that I believe there is a God? And if I do believe there is a God who is God, like made it all, saw it all, does it all, in control at all times, like knowing that, does that impact what I do with my day to day? Or how I think about myself and my life? And the answer is yes. Yes, the, the, the thing the modern world has done is made God kind of a meme. It's kind of a cartoon. He might exist, but it's not, it's not real the way, say, my refrigerator is real. But if God is God, he's more real than your refrigerator. Your refrigerator is, is made by him out of the ether. It'll vanish into fire someday. and he, God will not, right? So this God is again, searching you, knowing you at all times. That's first one. Okay, it's going to say the same thing now. Verse two, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar, right? So wherever I'm going, up, down, left, right, sideways, backwards, he's watching and he's watching what you think. He's watching what you know in your head. And he's watching what's happening in your heart, which is both good news and bad news. Because you have a lot of bad thoughts, probably. You may not even know you do. They may just go flying by. Like you're walking by someone, you're like, man, they look like they're having a bad day. And off you go. And all you did was judge them, right? So we have this. God knows this. So that's kind of bad news, I guess. But as a Christian, it's actually, it's kind of good news. You know, Jesus died for that thought. He wasn't worried about that thought in the sense of like, well, if I die, maybe they'll have that bad thought. No, no, he knew it was going to come and he died for it. What he wants then is for you to take captive that thought, right? Um, To realize that he is there with you, even in all of your thoughts, and nobody else is. The devil doesn't read your mind. It's kind of a common myth. The devil knows what's in your heart. How would he know that? Unless you tell him, if you talk out loud, well, he, he might know that. But God knows what's in your heart. He knows all the problems that are there. And he has baptized you into putting the solutions there through his word. Huh? So now in a double way as a Christian, God discerns your paths from afar. He knows every crooked path you might and will take. And he knows also how to straighten those paths through the blood of Jesus into an everlasting straight and narrow way. What a gift. Verse 3, you search out my path and my lying down. There's nowhere you go. He hasn't planned it. Nowhere you go. Huh? And you are acquainted with all my ways. You know, every great moment where you achieve what you've been working so hard to do this week. And every not so great moment where all those hard things built up and spilled out in the wrong way at the wrong person. Yeah, He knows all of it. None of it's outside his sight. And again, like I said a moment ago, he died for it. He bled for it, that he might own it, that he might take it, make it his own, make it alive again now. Yeah. 
Uh, verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh, Jesus, you know it all together, right? And we've, we're kind of hitting the same point repeatedly through the poem, so I'm not going to dwell on it too much. But there, there's nothing he's not got control of. You hem me in, verse 5, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Now, this is getting kind of personal in the way he's talking about it. It's like he says he can experience the presence of God. And as Lutherans who are used to fighting against the charismatic and or Baptist movement that locates the presence of God in things other than God's word, we're right to be like, okay, Pastor Fisk, where are you going? But where I'm going is we're still human beings with hearts and feelings, experiencing the creation that's around us, which God our Father made. And if you can acknowledge that, it is rightly said to be, again, God's hand upon you. It's not a relationship with Jesus, my boyfriend. It's an awareness of the creator God behind his creation. And that his creation is his creation and that he's made it to engage you. Yeah. Now, if any of that's like Pastor Fisk, you just went over my head. Okay, verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The, the whole section is him saying, I don't even know how to say this. <laughs> right? I'm trying to say God is God. I'm trying to say God is bigger than me. I'm trying to say I really like that God is for me as God and bigger than me. But I can't even wrap my head around that. We jump to verse 13 in our reading to emphasize how this includes the creation of you in the womb of your mother. And we're doing that for Life Sunday. Uh, the text in between continues largely on the same theme of where can I go from the presence of God? So jumping to verse 13, though. Again, knowledge that is too wonderful for me. That God formed my inward parts and knitted me together in my mother's womb. Now, as people who are connected to the pro-life community, you have the opportunity to know what that verse means as a picture, as, a, as an image, more than just about anybody else in history. We have more ability to capture photographs of in utero children in full color, you know, using waves and not pictures normally, right? Uh, ultrasound technologies. We have ways to see the beauty and the stages of development as the creator God's creation does what it's supposed to do after a man and a woman become one flesh in God's design and in the wife's womb, <laughs> something people argue about today, whether or not only women have these, but in the wife's womb, this, this new creation, this human, this extension of the tree of mankind is pieced together from bits of food that you ate. It's amazing. It's, it's too wonderful. I'm just trying to talk about the ultrasound pictures, let alone the step-by-step -step preservation of the entire system of the woman's body that's geared to be a home for this child. Yeah? It is wonderful to think on that God designed all of this so that you could be here. 
Not a single one of us here was not born in the normal way. And the result of this kind of knowledge and pondering, verse 14, is rightly praise. Alleluia, right? Verse 14, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Now, the, the heart of praise is to not see me, but to see the one I'm praising for the good they've done. And this can be, I mean, you can praise somebody who scores a basket by standing up and shouting, yay, I mean, that's praise, right? Uh, but here we're talking about praising God, yeah? And this is, again, what happens when you notice him. <laughs> when you notice God, you praise him because he's good. And isn't it amazing how little of that there is in our world? Yeah, well, yeah, that's the problem of sin. We got categories for talking about this. But what the text is doing is it's saying, I've got to the point where I see God has made me from my mother's womb, knit me together, so I might be here and know he did all of that. I praise him, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, in my own personal life right now, how would I do that? I'd say, hallelujah. I've been working on that for two years with the spilled coffee. Don't need to go into details this morning. But alleluia's come out of my mouth a whole lot more than they used to. And they've moved beyond the spilled coffee. And alleluia for it. I'm thankful for this in my life. And Deo Valente. We're working on getting that one in a little bit as well. That one serves as a form of both praise and prayer at the same time. Deo Valente. God willing. Right? And I, I'm dead serious. I got a meeting I got to go to. Deo Valente. Well, maybe the world will end before the meeting happens. Actually, what Deo Valente means, Lord willing, the end of the world will come. So I can pray not to go to the meeting, Deo Valente, at the same time, asking for, if I have to go to the meeting, God to make it a good meeting, Deo Valente, knowing that the end result is the end of the world anyway, Deo Valente. It's a marvelous little thing to throw out there as prayer, praise, and thanks in a moment. Now, again, I'm just trying to train you with some of these words a little bit for your own life. But out of the text, again, noticing God means praising then, next, right? And if you aren't noticing God enough in your life, why don't you just try building the praise in first? Because if you have to stop the praise, hallelujah, you're not going to do it without noticing what you're praising. You have to ask the question, where is God right now? And again, I'm not looking for fuzzy feelings. I'm looking for your knowledge that you're a creature redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, the man who lives forever. Yeah. To remember that in your walk as you go. All right, so praise you, fearfully, wonderfully made. Again, formed in the womb. Verse 15, kind of weird. My frame was hidden, excuse me, was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. All right, it all made sense up to the depths of the earth. They'd have just said intricately woven in my mother's womb, like that all would have worked out. But what's up with this depths of the earth thing? And without being an expert on this answer, I got to confess, there may be a better answer. Uh, my understanding is that the ancient mind is very different than the modern mind. And so sees connections where we would not because we're going to insist on science. And so they would call a woman's womb 
the depths of the earth and actually mean it was the true depths of the earth so far as they would understand that to be because they're not thinking if I dig down in the earth, I'll find it there. They're thinking that there's a spiritual connection between the earth and the mother's womb, which there very much is. She is earth's womb in a very you know, Genesis 1, 2, 3 kind of way, right? And so they're just talking about the womb by calling it the depths of the earth. And they don't not mean the depths of the earth, but they don't mean it the way we would, where we'd like want to measure it or something. Okay. So I think that's what's going on there. Again, it's, it's a weird verse. The idea is the same that God was in charge of your entire creation, start to finish. From, from two cells that became one cell that became two cells and onward. And then even beyond that, and, and the cells are the DNA or the blood the blood of your parents and their parents and their parents, all the way he's planned all this for you, for me, for us in Christ. It's good news. Uh, verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Uh, Want to guard here a little bit against a bad idea called fatalism. There's a dis difference between predestiny, which I'm all for, and fatalism. Fatalism is the idea that you have no influence on anything at all ever. You're a robot. You're just going. God decided it's going to be good, bad, all the same. You are playing a role. In one sense, you don't even have a soul. You got a soul, but not the way you think about it, actually. So fatalism. We reject this. I'm not saying anything that has anything to do with that. All right. When I then tell you that every single day in your life, God planned. Every single day. It's all written in a book. He's not writing it as you do it. It's already written and you're doing it. Huh? Well, how can that not be fatalism? It's not. That's how. <laughs> it's not. Stop believing that it means what fatalism says it means. And instead, it, what it means is that there's nothing that's going to happen in your life that God will not turn for the good of you in Jesus Christ. Period. He's got enough of a plan, enough contingency, enough countermeasure that all the way through, you can't mess it up according to the word of God and his promises. And so embracing that then, even bad decisions sometimes become good decisions, but that never makes bad decisions good. It just means God's in charge. And in this way then, please understand that as vehement as I was against blood being shed from the unborn, on our shores and the gravity of the scenario and how much we would do well as a people to repent of this as much as that all remains true even above and beyond that i know that the abortion mills are a curse of god's wrath upon us for worse things idolatries that are hard for us to admit idolatries like scientism and the need to prove everything uh, the, the evil that is here is under God's control is the point. He didn't have this abortion clinic show up in Rockford and he was like, oops, didn't see that coming. No, he, he let it happen. Let me suggest to you, St. Paul Lutheran Church, that that is partially so that you'll repent. What did we do? doesn't matter what you did. Stop thinking it's about you and you alone. It's about us that we repent, that we take ownership of the west side of Rockford, that we didn't leave it just because we changed buildings, that this is our community, 
And we care about what goes on here. We care about the people here. Even if they're not Christians, even if they never give back, even if they never come to our church, they're our neighbors. God is giving us an ordeal before our very eyes with the option to place our very real Christian Lutheran faith down on a public action that says what we believe to the entire world in a time of significant crisis. For us to say, yes, we're a pro-life church, is for us to start to walk together, not just run from a falling building, try to keep it up, but to go somewhere together. Yes, Bible reading in hand. See it for what it is. Does that mean it's good there's an abortion mill here? No. No, but it, it gives us a quest. Gives us a quest. Huh? Uh, verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. God plans it all. Again, it's precious. It's precious to see this. Predestiny, election, it's precious. How vast are the sum of those thoughts. Verse 23 and 24, last two. It's a prayer at the end. Search me, O God. Remember how it started? Look at verse 1. You have searched me and known me, right? Search me and know me. It's already, he already did it. Well, yeah, I know. Do it again, God, please. Keep, keep doing that. Keep searching me and knowing me. Uh, keep being my God. Yeah. Notice how he does say, know my heart. Uh, your heart is a huge part of biblical anthropology. That is, if I ask the question, what makes a man, right? And I ask the scientist, he's going to say, you know, I'm, I'm not a, you know, a specialist in this, so I can't tell you the difference between a man and a woman. But if you ask the specialist, he'll tell you the man is made up of cells and, and muscles and there's this and there's that. Um, but for the Hebrew to say, what is a man? You would really start with saying, well, it, he is his heart. That's what a man is. He's his heart. There's no distinction between you and your heart. It's the deepest level of you. It's your soul and then some though. It's alive. It's your body. It's you. So his idea here then, know my heart. He's asking God to expose in his heart anything that shouldn't be there. He's not asking God to to try him and say, show how righteous I am. Let everyone else know how great I am. No, he's saying, I'm pretty aware that I don't even know it all. So will you please keep exposing in my heart, try me and my thoughts, see if there be a grievous way, right? Verse 24, look for the crack, look for the flaw, find the unbelief, the doubt, and the fear, and lead me in the way everlasting, right? So he's not saying, and and just curse me for that. Rather, he's saying, show me how to repent of it. Show me how to not let it master me anymore. Show me how to walk behind you, Jesus, rather than always trying to be out in front by myself. Yeah, It's a marvelous, marvelous little prayer. It's a, a grave issue, again, uh, to focus on as a whole. It is a big ask that I, as your pastor, am giving to you, that no matter what happens, you continue to notice the announcements about the life issues in the bulletin and add Rockford's pro-life cause to your daily prayers, please. Because that's the war. The war is not about standing on a corner somewhere. That's good too if you're going to pray, but just standing there isn't the point. The point is to pray, to believe. Not that God isn't with you, but that he is with you. He's going to hear your plea. Those things that matter to his church, which you say, please, he says, yes. 
That's the ask. I want you to grab that sword, use that sword. Yeah. And then uh, try to bring this home. I want you to know that how you respond has no bearing on how Jesus feels about you. Rather, Jesus insists you're his. So get used to being asked to respond. In the name of Jesus.